The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. I'm going, God, you ruined everything, Ben. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I just wet people's appetite for it. And uh, we're live. Oh. Uh, it is Monday, October 18th, 2021, 5.04 p.m. Eastern Time, 2.04 p.m. Pacific Time. We have a very fancy guest guest in a little black dress and uh, drinking out of, are you like drinking out of like a crystal glass goblet? You said it was in lieu of fun. You didn't say it was in lieu of fancy. Yeah, that is so true. That's true. And you're the first person who's ever said that. Yeah, Katie Fang once wore a ball gown on our on our show. Like that was kind of pretty. But you're like you're like I would say like solidly. I mean, it was also like turquoise or purple or something. So it was like very and had like a frou frou like right here. So that being said, we're not allowed fun anymore, but we are allowed to have Britton Heller to talk about virtual and augmented reality in a little black dress and a great necklace behind a mirror. We can't see her in. So no, she she's might in be front a of a mirror. She in might be a vampire. House. I love it. It's I think your it's new great. house. Yeah, wow. it's your new house. Where's That's your new house? Don't, Not, don't get details. No. <laughs> in the Bay Area, but it is an, uh, a, a 1912 Victorian. That's about 80% original. So wow. With the wood paneling, as you can see, and the original light fixtures and stained glass and and two fireplaces, it's so much fun. And for wow. Halloween, we're going to decorate it. And it's going to it's going to be it's going to be great. So I want to start by talking about your nails, Brittany. <laughs> oh Speaking, yes. Okay. So what well, we Halloween? can't we can't yes. So we can't. But this is the best. I think you said like Harvard in the front. Harvard but- in the front. Yes. Heller, uh, Heller, uh, Harvard in the light, Heller in the dark. They glow yeah. in the dark like monsters. Yeah, her nails are glow in the dark. And she sent me this video of her drumming in the dark on like a desk. <laughs> and it was like, I was like, that is the coolest manicure I've ever seen. <laughs> Wait, can you, uh, can you uh, show Turn that video? Sun? No, no, I no, can't. I know. I don't, I don't, like it's going to be, here, but I will try to find it. But there is pretty, it's pretty badass. You two can have this manicure with, by getting a French manicure and then putting a clear coat of glow in the dark mm-hmm. nail polish over it. I was going to, I'm going to go do that after the show actually. Um, but anyways, uh, but seriously, Britain, we've been friends for a long time. It is great to have you on finally, um, and, uh, talk to you about this stuff. I'm going to selfishly, I'm going to quickly introduce you and kind of like, we don't really do tons of introduction here, um, or make, it's a very informal show. So also introductions are pretty informal. Well, um, also, we read the stage if, directions. If, so, if Devin Nunes' lawyer needs information, it's Sally Hansen glow in the dark Sour Patch Kids uh, co-branded nail polish. I did. There it I is. Needed that information, actually, too. I think Thank we all needed Devin. that. Yeah. Yeah. Nunes' lawyer. Uh, DNL is great. Uh, the so okay. So I'm gonna go Amazon that and then. Also, uh, while I'm doing that, um, I'll briefly introduce you, but um, Britain went to the Yale Law School, uh, which, which we try not to hold against her. Which we Thank try you. not to hold against her. Yeah. Thank you. Everyone I mean, makes mistakes. 
hey, it's written right here. <laughs> I know. But um, no, and uh, you have worked um, for a long time in the areas around kind of cyber hate and hate speech. And um, you have, over the last couple of years, really started to specialize in kind of how those communities are growing in the video game context and in virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but start out with how you met Ben. Well, not met Ben, but how you Ben had his first VR experience. I think at a at a gathering that you were there for, and he like sat on you. Yes, uh, I want to stress by accident. Um, <laughs> okay. It was not. It was an incident of um, of. Uh, I would say virtual reality neophytism. Uh, but not... it happens to everybody, just so you know that. Yeah, so just to be clear, um, we have a, Britain and I have a mutual friend who uh, suggested that we all get together, I think it was New Year's, right? Yeah, it was New Year's Day during the pandemic because we were all feeling sad and lonely. Right, for a virtual reality uh, drink. And so we got together in the virtual reality equivalent of Zoom, which I have never had never used before, which is a program called Spaces, in which one of the things that you can do is teleport around the room. So you because you can't really walk, you know, because you are confined to the physical space that you're in. So you teleport around the room and um, I found myself one point teleporting to the exact spot on which Britain was uh, sitting, which in a normal universe would be something like <laughs> sitting on her lap or something. Um, and, like, I, like I was virtual Santa Claus. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was um, super embarrassing. Um, it's funny and, to me that you felt embarrassed. Well, That's so I, interesting to me. Like, because, no, no, no. It's interesting because, like, there has been a transference that like that like implies that there's a transference that you identify with the avatar enough to feel embarrassed for what it does so, and you feel like you have enough control over it to feel like you are responsible for what it does so i but do you not don't. feel <laughs> like i identify myself particularly strongly with my avatar but i did feel like the other people in the room were their own avatars. And so, you know, um, uh, and also it just felt rude to like, uh, you know, there is a 3D space and there's this entity there with Britain's face and, you know, uh, you have to treat it with the respect that you, it, like it doesn't move quite like Britain, but you you do feel like you shouldn't, like do something that you would absolutely never do in real life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I found it very embarrassing and very awkward. And, um, uh, and uh, it happened like three times that did not, not that specific thing, but like that I tr tried to move somewhere that I didn't end up going where I thought I was going. Only one of them I ended up on top of somebody else. Yeah, I thought I found it really awkward. It, I, I had the same experience where I was in VR chat and actually giving a talk on VR ethics in VR chat and had to sort of slowly back into my seat because I couldn't <laughs> get it. 
couldn't get it to put me there directly. And whenever you're giving a talk in a VR environment, there is always the person in the back who is teleporting back and forth and back and forth. And you just have to ignore them. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's not distracting at all. It's, that's like it's the, bizarre. It's like the guy whose phone keeps going off. You just like, you like, it's just, but is it? Like I actually, so this is like, but this is super, so, um, I have mentioned this book to both of you, but like I'm thinking of making the third part of the book that I'm working on on Facebook and Airbnb about Niantic, which is this a like this augmented reality space. And one of the reasons Pokemon. I'm picking Pokemon, it's famous for the company that created Pokemon Go and has like basically mapped an augmented like mapped the real world the most mm -hmm. in order to basically put an augmented reality on top of whatever that world is. Um, and so I find this to be a fascinating, fascinating juncture between meat space and digital space. Um, and I'm kind of interested to hear, uh, like Ben's, Ben's example is, is what's interesting to me about Ben's example is like, that he expects like that he expects the norms of the physical world and what is happening visually for him in the in like the digital world to like coalesce. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I think we give a lot of credit. Uh, like, I think that doesn't necessarily make sense if we don't have like actual like physical like pro like proprioception over our bodies and we're expecting a laggy video card to be making up for that type of thing. So I'm just like curious what your thoughts are, Britton, like the big picture of kind of all of this, how you're thinking about it. Um, there are norms in, well, okay, starting over. There are no norms yet in virtual realities. So the way that we interact in um, kind of in physical space tends to translate over. Um, if you look on most of the major platforms, when they are um, trying to create safety mechanisms, they'll create a personal space bubble. And so normally that's about 18 inches. Um, if they don't have a personal space bubble, which most of them didn't when they started, um, they, what happens when you put a bunch of people in a, in a computer uh, simulation and they, they want to try it out? Eventually people, you know, tr try to push the envelope and, and go weird and sexual right away, right? So there's, there's a journalist who described um, what she called the uh, first recorded sexual assault in virtual reality. And it took, I think, I think it was three and a half minutes, approximately. She went into this, uh, this archery game called, called Quiver and found herself kind of mobbed by people who then started groping her and uh, wouldn't stop. So she signed out of the game. And when she wrote about it, she said she, she didn't really know how to deal with the incident because it felt like being assaulted in in real life and she was kind of fascinated by this experience because um that's that's kind of the the special sauce and the achilles heel rolled into one of virtual reality there's um you know there's this this embodiment where when we put the headset on we feel like the avatar is our own. And that's why Ben felt when he sat in my lap accidentally that he was um, you know, impinging on my personal space. There's, um, there's immersion where it feels like it's your actual world. And then there's presence. And that's when, um, when your psychological and physiological characteristics get, get transferred into the avatar. So if someone comes up to you and shoots you with a gun, 
in VR, even if it's a cartoonish gun, like from Roger Rabbit, your brain doesn't respond to the cartoon. It responds to the act of violence. Yeah. And even if it's kind of very avatar-ish, your brain actually fills in the gaps on lower resolution or pixelated things. So that, um, that actually I do that all the time with flinching. I'm okay. just like, it's just like, a, it's just like glasses and like white hair and then like a, a dog shirt usually. And I'm just like, it's Ben. <laughs> like, and that's like all I can see is- But actually things. that's all there is to me is sort of like white hair, glasses and a dog shirt. And, you know, I'm I'm actually very lightly pixelated in real life. So mm-hmm. um, we all look better that way. So I want to. So, Ben, have you ever heard of um, Julian Dibble's A Rape in Cyberspace? This is a pretty like a pretty fun, like a foundational story. And Brittany, you like made a look. So I'm like curious if you're going to like if you think that there's an issue with it or like. No, no, no. I was, I was, when you said Julian Dibbles, I, I didn't remember the author. So that was my look like, oh, God. oh, oh, so I teach this. So like, I remember like, but this is, so Julian Dibble in 1983, I'm going to put this in the chat. Julian Dibble wrote this incredible piece for the Village Voice, which was about basically in a Lambda Moo, which was like an early stage multi role playing game, like multi online um, game about basically like in like kind of like what, you know, before there was there were all of these things there was kind of and twitch and all of these like and i'm trying to remember half the games that john plays what's the one that's really <laughs> terrible for women the one that's really bad the uh, uh name one um i know like really yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just realized i realized uh, grand that, theft that, that auto like, um no 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 okay that but there is also no it, anyways whatever it's i can't remember some starts with the d i can't remember um but uh the uh anyways the point is is that second life was kind of like a it wasn't vr i love that people are just like listing off things in the thing about like everyone um but the but there's basically um that basically there is this idea that julian dibble wrote this piece and it was about a person being raped through second life through this like in this Lamb Demu in 1993 and he wrote about it and he wrote about how the community decided to deal with this assault and to deal with the other nature of this assault being of, of a proxy being raped uh, and how this type of sexual assault kind of unpacked and I bring this up because like literally I feel like people do not remember how early and how like you said like as you said the thing about the space bubble britain this reminded me that like like of course the minute you get rid of the space bubble people do weird creepy sex shit that's like all that they do and this is like but the second that you create the internet people do weird creepy sex shit like and so this is going to and like you're going to create a metaverse people are going to do weird creepy sex shit and so this is kind of i mean i'm also not trying to like yuck anyone's yum if you're into weird creepy sex shit like that's great (laughs) like God, I'm into God. consensual yes, creepy exactly. sex like, shit, but I do like, think when somebody's go another episode, if we want to talk about like, <laughs> like, like I, uh, I'm not talking about what what we'll two never... consenting adults want to do together yeah. in VR is a different <laughs> matter. <laughs> I'm talking about, said, if, like, if you build it, they will. They, they will. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> I'm, that's very good, Alaric. Yeah, that was um, actually really good. <laughs> like, 
I, oh, I'm yeah. talking. We're talking here about so like I, when I did the sextortion research, the the super common theme was that the perps regarded themselves as just playing, you know, and it as yeah. complete as virtual, and the victims regarded themselves as having been raped. Um, and an extreme on both sides. Like there was well, no, there was, well, maybe not. Or the truth is much closer to the victim perspective, honestly. I mean, this is a whole lot of people engaged in non-consenting forced sexual activity. But there is an element of truth on the perp side. And it is that they didn't touch anybody. They didn't you know, physically force anybody to do anything, right? It's a, um, and I think there is a quality of the gaming mentality that is, it's not completely different from, so if you look at the old studies of, you know, uh, manga and the, the sort of, uh, cultural attitudes, you know, there are these incredibly sexually violent, um, you know, comic books that people openly in Japan will read on the subway. And uh, they have this attitude toward, well, it's a comic book, Jesus Christ, what, what, what the hell? And, um, and I think a lot of the sextortion perpetrators actually think about it like that. They don't think they're dealing with real people. And I do worry that, um, of course, there is a huge difference between the manga uh, stuff and the sextortionists, which is that they're dealing with real people. But I think they don't perceive themselves as dealing with real people. And I, I do worry that you know, VR creates this environment in which it is incredibly easy to do that. You know, you have somebody who looks real, who, uh, who, you know, a hundred first-rate engineers are working on making as real as possible, who's, uh, who's, you know, who you don't, experience as real you experience as real like um and i worry about what that's gonna do to the perception of what it's okay to do to somebody yeah um kind of related to this but a little uh, uh, taking it to another um application. you can talk about whatever you want Awesome. <laughs> I have a new piece coming out um oh i was should... gonna just link to your reimagining reality piece. oh you should you should yeah. um it, it, this the is one, one of Britain's previous pieces on this that is like kind of like the uh, the original um, Goji piece. Yeah. Um, there is a more lawyerly one um, called Watching Androids Dream of Electric Sheep um, by Vanderbilt um, Law and Entertainment Journal Technology. I will find it. I found it. Um, but I, I have a piece coming out in the uh, Stanford Journal of Trust and Safety in their first edition that I've co-authored with um, Avi Benziv, who is one of the pioneers in eye tracking technology. And uh, we, we wrote about immersive advertising and should we treat advertising in virtual reality 
differently than we treat it on social media and on the rest of the web and in gaming, sports, entertainment. And uh, I, I, we came to the conclusion, maybe, like, maybe we should, because um, in I, the subtitle of the piece is, in VR, nobody knows you're an ad. The, um, the the progression of advertising in virtual reality does it, it there are ads kind of like super bowl ads that you don't realize are advertisements they're experiential uh there are this a handful in every vr ar format of jurassic park games uh, you can go to are a you, VR. yeah you do go, you i mean this is very snow crash yeah like this is very neil stevenson snow crash like kind of idea which is just like the we were, that, yeah, we were. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to some friends who were reading it for me, and I was, I was like, "Is this new? This is in sci-fi already, right?" And they're like, "Yes, these are ads that people go to because it's fun, and not, and they don't realize that it's an ad for the Jurassic Park franchise. Because what better way to make people want to see the next movie, Jurassic Park: Infinity Wars, or whatever it's going to be, to um, then to go pet dinosaurs themselves? Um, and there is the capability to." put targeted ads in VR AR contexts. And because of those things I talked about before, presence, immersion, and basically it all feels like it's real. Um, it has the possibility to be much, much more persuasive than, than anything we see on social media or, or other, other um, sort of outlets. So um, I kind of tried to explain it to to, um, to people as saying it's not product placement, it's placement in the product, which is very different. Ben, I can't hear you. I cannot hear you. How about now? Yes, now I can hear you. Weird. All right. Um, so explain something to me. What do you imagine to be the process by which we will develop uh, the sort of norms and expectations of behavior in VR. So I look at this and I say, okay, the chat function is a was a real breakthrough in life because it meant that every 13-year-old kid and every, uh, you know, adult who had guidance for that person uh, or predator who wanted to eat that person could be in direct contact irrespective of the mm -hmm. desires and wishes of that child's parents and there's a million good sides of that and uh, sort of a third of a million awful sides of that. Um, but it seems to me that it's at a, a different level when you're talking about a world in which, you know, the first time we show up, we're going to accidentally sit in somebody's lap. Mm -hmm. And within three minutes, we're going to have a sexual assault, you know, in your other example. Um, and by the way, we don't really know how to think about whether it's, you know, whether somebody who, like, feels assaulted in that context is being, you know, being completely reasonable mm -hmm. or whether that person's just kind of ignoring the ambience of the gaming culture, right? Um, 
And so my, my question is kind of like, what's the mechanism going to be? Is it going to be like a hundred ugly things happen and we're going to adjudicate them in, uh, in very individualized way and develop? Is it going to be a terms of service thing where like spaces says, you know, we're going to create 18 inches or maybe 18 feet of, of bubble around each person like how how are we going to do it? I think I think a couple of things here. One, the terms of service of major platforms that just intend for it to cover their VR ventures uh, are sadly mistaken because those are written for two D flat social media, and basically your newsfeed is not the same thing as as something that feels like someone walking up to you in your living room. I, I think that companies need to make the specifically tailored terms of service for AR VR contexts where um, that take into account the neurology of this stuff. Um, second, I, I look at issues related to consent. I can show you one tangibly if you give me 15 seconds, but the question of what consent is going to look like in the metaverse is very interesting to me because if it becomes a pervasive spatial computing platform that we cannot effectively opt out of without going into ARV, um, without removing ourselves from ARV or context completely, then it will be a failure of the imagination. I saw people talking about how, like, why would you do VR, AR? What's the benefit of it? it? There are many other benefits. I'm on the board of the Virtual World Society and we're looking at it for education, art and humanitarian purposes. And uh, um, I have more to say about that later, but I can show you what consent um, what consent looks like in the hardware right now, if you give me 10 seconds. Okay. Yep. Great. He's going to like get some cat or something. I just like feel like this is like going to be some metaphor. Um, but <clears throat> sorry for choking. No worries. I, I'm I was glad... drinking apple cider and it really burns if you choke on it. Ooh. What is this? This is Britain in the Matrix. This is Britain in the Matrix. These uh, I'm part of the Snapchat creator program. So these, if I can get it to go right now, uh, I look like Ray Charles, but um, like this is a touchpad and things. And I um, you don't look like Ray Charles, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it should should light up. Yeah, see it? Yep. Yeah. That yep. is what consent looks like. So here it lights up on the um, on the Facebook glasses. It lights up right right there. That is how and you this, know. That's how you know that is, somebody's filming you or taking a picture. But you only. What if you're like looking away when that happens? That's 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 it. That's the mechanism. Implied <laughs> consent. Maybe I am Ray Charles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, I mean, no, I'm Ray Charles if I can't see that. <laughs> like, that's like, that is like actually what the metaphor is. I am so, the Ray Charles. You have the cool glasses. I have no glasses. Like, I can't see anything. Wait a minute. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't I, I'm with Genevieve Delaferra. I don't think this seems like robust enough consent. This seems like or notification. Electric. So this is this is the way that hardware providers are trying to show people that um, are, are trying to indicate that can, they 
that you are filming. And who, whoever said black electrical tape, that was my first thought. Um, black electrical tape or, um, you know, just a little bit of like Sharpie marker. Um, Could, wait, can you explain like, or just that they, that you, if there's a light right here oh, that, oh, that shows oh, oh. that you're filming or taking a picture. Oh, that you just cover it up. Just oh, absolutely. Up. Yes, of course. And, I mean, there's like the dumbest thing to hack ever created. Like that's. But uh, honestly, I mean, we all take pictures of each other all the time with our phones yeah, so without, looks, mm -hmm. without a whole lot of anxiety about consent. Right. So, so maybe the, like for me, the, you know, if I'm holding this up like this, I'm probably taking a picture. But there is no. You know, if you're holding it up like that, you're probably looking at the text message you just got from from someone else. No, actually, this is very interesting. The norms are now that like you look down like this if you're reading something. You're not usually looking like this unless you are. What What am I doing right now? You're filming. Like, am I? Or am I also, if I'm looking no, at the No, you're taking phone, a selfie. Exactly. So like you could either be taking a selfie or filming either people because the cameras are on co-opposite sides of the same 3D device so that people look or pretend oftentimes like they're taking a selfie in order to film things that are happening around them. And like, I think that this is, I think that this is like, these are really subtle things that like, how the fuck would we have known that that was going to be like a side effect of selfies and front facing cameras? I, what I think is interesting is that um, what we're debating right now is like the gestational vocabulary, the physical vocabulary of how we, how we interact with technology and how that mediates our interactions with each other. There is nothing like that that exists within VR yet. There are different headsets. There are different form factors. It's different for augmented reality and virtual reality. It's, it's, it's going to be messy. <laughs> it's going to be quite messy. Um, but I, uh, I am pretty excited by it. But the thing that I also think needs to happen for number three, I talked about consent. I talked about um, as number two, but number three, um, in the other work, I talk about the, how, how, like when, when you're doing an AI ethics project, um, sort of the, just to kind of shortcut it for people, it's the compilation of data sets. Um, that create unanticipated results. And that's where a lot of the harm comes in, un unforeseeable harm. Uh, I wrote a paper and had to actually invent a term because it didn't exist yet. Um, in, the, in the Android's paper and the Harvard paper, I, I called it biometric psychography. And for me, that is one of the main harms that is potential in, in, in these immersive environments. And that is if the physiological reactions that make my headset work, um, like monitoring my pupil dilation um, with other handless controllers, monitoring the electrical pulses that are right here, or the, um, the flushing of my skin, so the moistness or the heart rate, those type of involuntary reactions can actually be monitored and give you feedback into the device. The um, eye tracking specifically helps it so that you don't get seasickness when you're, when you're in these things. But it also means that it, the companies have access to a bunch of information about you that you probably don't intend to convey. So the secondary uses of your physiological or biometric data can be things like um, who you're sexually attracted to. And how is that measured? 
Um, your involuntary people response. If you see uh, something you really like or a person you think is super sexy, um, your your people dilate. Yeah, you know, and and you don't have control over that. Yeah, Um, there's a bunch. Yeah, so eye movement studies, just to be clear, are among like from from a psychological neurological perspective, much more than fMRIs, much more than any obvious. It should be obvious. I shouldn't have to say this episode 531, but like in case you just are new here much better than self-reporting studies, which are garbage. And um, unless you're measuring how people self-report, which then is fine. <laughs> like, okay. But like, but generally speaking, if you really want to know how people feel about things, eye movement studies are very involuntary. Like they're involuntary movements. Yes, Ben, like that. Okay. Well, now you're, are you mimicking me? Rolling no, my I'm eyes just at you? moving my okay. eyes. <laughs> There's not that many ways I can move my eyes voluntarily, you know, so rolling was just the one that people could most easily see. It was not a reflection of what I thought of what you were saying. There was, but no, so, 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 volu- so like, so involuntary things, like we call them, I mean, in like in neuro- neurology, they're called parasympathetic responses. Mm-hmm. Like they're responses that come literally from your hindbrain, from like your brainstem that controls like the temperature of your body, right? Like when you get caught or when you get cold, like it's like, all of that. Um, and so there is, and like prefrontal cortex, all of this is emotion and other types of responses and they have feedback loops. It's not like it's obviously like independent, obviously it's not, but there are ones that are especially parasympathetic. And one of them is things like what Britain is talking about, like your eye, like your pupils dilating yeah. or and like your pulse accelerating or your stomach flipping or the feeling when people describe their blood going cold or something like that is all just kind of like a parasympathetic response that actually happens milliseconds before your body is even aware that it's happening and senses it happening. So like it's a response that goes into place in reaction to things. It's the fight or flight response. So all of those things, as Britain kind of is pointing out, you have no actual control over and you also have no control over sharing them apparently with these third parties that are attacking them. uh, Other, other things you can tell from that is whether or not somebody is likely to be telling the truth and whether or not they're showing preclinical signs of diseases like, um, Parkinson's, schizophrenia, and ADHD, because your um, the way your your um, automatic reactions to things in your in your pupils um, will will lag. Um, that's one of the first almost preclinical signs of these ailments. So people don't realize that when they're playing a car racing game, that may be what they're giving away. I, I can you so the harm comes if those which used to be accessible in a lab environment and now are potentially accessible in your VR and AR headsets are um, combined with advertising databases. Although I, there are no laws right now preventing that from happening. So there's no, that's the dark side of it, right? That is the dark, that's the very dark side of it. And but, I think that there needs to be some- out. Let's, let's make something about, happy about this. Well, let's <laughs> talk about the the, you know, what if we had a very communitarian attitude toward this, which is, hey, you're uh, you're picking up a whole lot of potential data about lots of people's preclinical conditions. Mm -hmm. Not only do we want to put restrictions on your ability to uh, monetize those by advertising to them. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, hey, Britain, have you considered um, uh, this, uh, you know, line of, of antipsychotics for your preclinical schizophrenia? <laughs> you know, like, you know, d- just in case. <laughs> like, um, For me, it's, it's more like a, if, if I were to start getting ads in my VR headset about, hello, Sorry, we oh we invite users on to uh, so Genevieve is a co-host on the show. Um, she just had a baby, so she's out on maternity leave. We're paying her abundantly for her maternity leave. It's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, uh, but anyways, like, there's what, like what, but, uh, we, but, but I, what I was saying is a... that like if somebody were to advertise to you like if the, the example in the paper is if if you and I are playing a car racing game and there's this red McLaren that goes by and Ooh, I like that car. I really like that car. And my heart rate starts to race a little bit. My pupils dilate. My skin gets a little more moist. And later on, that information is sold to advertisers. So I, I go to my Facebook feed and I start getting advertisements for network. Why now is a great time to get an auto loan? I get an advert. I then get an email from Geico saying, or, or thinking like, about a new car. Like- red paint like you would love this color of red paint that's in the exact shade of like Mm -hmm. the i don't know sorry i'm just like thinking of all of the ways you could use yeah or um there's even more potential for i i think persuasion in it where if you if they know who you have a crush on if a salesperson looks has the physical characteristics of that person you are probably more likely to respond positively to the ad so this, that's the, that's the dark side. I think that there's a couple things we can do. Um, but, one but hang is, on, I I want to I want to come back to the bright communitarian side of this. Yes, I would love it, to move to that. So if they have some ability to identify preclinical symptoms of actual disease, whether mm-hmm. it's you know, I mean, why should we not look at that? As some with some kind of duty to warn. Hey, if you're, I mean, I don't think Facebook should be diagnosing people with with pre schizophrenia, but, um, but, like, you are talking about an exceptionally powerful access to clinical data that you could only otherwise get in a lab. And it seems to me if you're collecting that stuff on people and you're going to learn all kinds of things about them, the question of at what point you have a duty to let them know that, hey, we've figured out that you may be 18 months away from your first schizophrenic uh, episode. <laughs> you know, like like yeah. not not that there's that much you can do about it, but... But pre- presumably there's there's some, um, like at some point you're collecting enough information that it could be clinically significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think most of the platforms are trying to stay away from um, giving any sort of medical advice. Um, you could also potentially tell yeah, if somebody had a seizure from allow- the way their hands are moving and the way that their voice responds and I think that they've um, they've just shied away from anything related to warning people um, because of that some of the no, but, but 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 pause there at yeah. what point is that going to become unsustainable 
So now you're now. now you're collecting all kinds of information. Are we taking our hair down? Is it that point in the podcast? Oh, I don't sorry. have enough I hair just, to like, take I, down. I'm yeah, afraid. I just like got. <laughs> oh, very nice, Britain. Yes. So, like, it's at some down. point you're collecting enough data that that is in fact correlated with mm-hmm. real world clinical outcomes. It seems to me you can say all you want. Well, we're not giving any medical advice, or we're not doing. But mm-hmm. at at some point, you know, not giving information is itself a, a decision that we're going to judge very harshly. I I think that it depends on. They have that data in the raw form. Do we want them to process it? Because what you're yeah, talking about is like a, that- a beneficial use. But do you want to yeah. give them that information in the first place? I would argue I- no. I don't want yeah, I don't want them having it. So what about when they start collecting, you know, heart palpitations that are highly correlated with near term cardiac events? Um, and we're going to say um, well, lots and lots of people test. should die of cardiac events because we don't want these people processing information that they're collecting. I, mean, I find that I, I don't think we're going to that's I don't think that's where we're going to go. Right now, the um, kind of the legal regimes that govern ARVR are state-based. There's um, yeah, that's pre- not sustainable. Pretty either. much, yeah, it's yeah, not no sustainable. <laughs> and um, most of them unless are it's covered, California, even so, because most of them are covered by um, the state-based provisions that define biometrics. If you look at the laws, biometrics are tied to protecting your identity. That is not the case with ARVR headsets where you have to have an account with Snapchat or Facebook or Vive or, or, or Sony to log in with a verifiable billing address. They know who you are. So the, the whole premise of the legal framework of protecting identity does not transfer over yet into protecting this bio, um, information related to persuasion, which is why I made that term biometric psychography. Psychography is from advertising, and that's basically how they determine um, how a, a person's likes, dislikes, and commercial preferences can be determined. And if you combine that with your physio- physiology, which is, which is possible in AR and VR, like it hasn't been in any other technology outside of a lab um, before, I think that's, that's where we get into the sci-fi land. Um, but it's not sci-fi, it's here. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think that the, it's not sci-fi, it's here is a huge part of this. I mean, that's, I mean, I feel the other thing, it's like, it's a very dramatic story, I think, to have the conversation over and over and over and over and over again for the last 10 years of it's not AI, it's not algorithms taking down your speech from this two-dimensional Facebook. It's not these type, like AI and algorithms are actually not as advanced as you think they are. Yet we are on this kind of like amazing forefront of all of this kind of three-dimensional space building. And so it seems like there should be, but like it is amazing how much like puff and posturing can come in these new technologies without like a very sophisticated back end. I mean, maybe that's not amazing. Maybe that is the history of technology and the history of developing things. But um, to make it work at this at scale, it like requires some type of like moment of okay, we're going to put everything onto a fucking grid and we're going to lay down pipe and we're going to pipe out your poop 
from your indoor plumbing <laughs> machines. No, I'm serious. Like indoor plumbing is a great example of a type of technology that was revolutionary. Like it stopped the spread of disease, it stopped all of these things. And like the, the stage in which that became not just like architects planning houses around that, but that houses pl like plug plugging into a system that was going to carry it away. Those are huge types of like, those are public huge, health. Yeah, well, it's right? public health, but it's also, how do I put it? Like, it's post-talk, it's post-talk solutionism. It's not that the per people building like in-house plumbing were thinking about where the plumbing was going. They're like, oh, the pond, like over there, that'll be good long-term. No, like mm -hmm. that's not. And so we have to, it's like the same thing that we're going through now, I feel like in a lot of these things, but I, <laughs> I do feel like maybe we should be getting to the point where we're able to do a little bit of long-term planning about externalities, like I the would, shit that we create and like I not would putting love it that. all in one pond. Like, mm -hmm. like, I just think it's, it's like, that doesn't take much like foresight, I, I guess, to bend. Yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to repeat it. If the metaverse is just a way to convey ads to us in a way we can't turn off in a pervasive environment, it is a failure of the imagination. And yeah. I I don't see a lot of care yet going into the the creation of this space and thinking about how how it's actually going to be governed and I feel like I'm stuck in a time loop in 1995 and people are talking about how to govern this thing called the internet. It's the same damn conversation again and again and again and And what did, so so here's a uh like what did we not think about then? that looking back on it, we're like, well, clearly X principle was obvious that we're also missing for this. With this, I think the issues expand beyond speech and touch on behavior in a much more identifiable way than they did with social media networks. Um, gaming is kind of the transitional bridge between the two. But it, I think in retrospect, it, it, it is kind of naive to feel like a speech act is not actually be, um, behavioral. Mm -hmm. And that that is just very clear here. Um, also, that there is there's social science and neuroscience that, that can help us make better terms of service. Twitter's actually been really good at integrating the latest neuroscience into their um, into their governance. But I would love to see what we know about content moderation from gaming and from AR and VR put into code, terms of service, codes of conduct, industry best practices, name your soft log bullshit, but put into that for immersive ecosystems. Uh, one thing is, um, and this is really minor, but the, do you know what, what actually decreases harassment in video games? Pretty, like, pretty dang well is if you um if you make an avatar and you and you show people's eyes if you even if you even if you show just like a cut of someone's eyes um next to their like an avatar next to their feed and if you think about video games most of the time the, the like the ogres or the monsters have these little beady squinty eyes you don't really make eye contact with them but that alone decreases the incidence of harassment because it sort of rehumanizes yeah i think that's i mean i like I will say that like I was that really, so, really hits home. 
-hmm. we also like you should come back on with we're gonna have to go to questions in one second but like okay um you should come back on with rosanna summers um who is also yls with me and does psychology experimental jurisprudence and is now at michigan as a professor but she did an incredible series of studies on like the meaningfulness of consent mm -hmm. and about what it takes to make that happen and you would be fascinated by her results but also like in the same lab that we were in uh josh Nob, who's also been on the show um, a psychologist at Yale, there was somebody who was doing a study to test this theory of big eyes making mm -hmm. you think that something is cute or human and like did it. And it actually like is not, it is not as, it is like they couldn't find, they couldn't replicate the results. This is why I'm like pro Interesting. null results. Like, but they couldn't replicate the results. And I have to find out what happened with it. It makes study. me wonder if after a certain point, it, it actually re reinforces really the original harm where it makes it not rehumanizing but dehumanizing when you get to like the like an uncanny an uncanny yeah. valley type of thing yeah i've thought about i i propose that as like a as a reasoning for this but anyways uh we can talk about that in a, in, a, in another time that you're going to come back on obviously because you're going to come back on and now dr doom i'm going to you the radio is turned on oh my okay um hi may i tell hi may i tell a, a story beforehand my sure, question. briefly. We have like we have like eight to five, eight. To okay, 15. I'll be I'll be quick. Uh, in 1983, I uh, worked on a project to develop a Rorschach test that was actually uh, medically valid, hmm. with a set of uh, pictures, uh, evocative pictures, actually from the Jungian database that was on video disc, and uh, correlating against people looking at uh, taking MMPIs with the idea if you got a big enough data set, you could do nonverbal nonverbal psychological testing, uh, just watching people as they choose the different pictures and as they're evoked. These ideas have been around for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And the recognition of this uh, long, long time in, 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 in so many ways. And I, I just wanted to, I went to the Microsoft's first privacy meeting and everybody, of the six people there recognized all of this but there was just so much money to be made and yeah. it was so far off that even though we knew that you know your your frog would get boiled that that there was no there was no escape so when you talk about these things i, I just want to go to the particular example of the ray you know these new ray bands look it's it's obvious when this becomes penetrant and then there's enough market share there is no escape for cons uh, for consent uh wherever you go this stuff is going to be integrated and you're not going to be able to say to somebody as i have since 1997 do not take pictures of me no you're so, gonna do that weird like makeup thing on your face that allows you to escape. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen these 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 things to you know to avoid that, but I mean, uh, it's no. You're gonna do what I do. You're gonna put a human face mask over your lizard face, <laughs> and and then no one will know what you actually look like. Unless well, that's why I put on my my doom armor, you know, and you know, right. fused it to my face, you know, after the accident. So anyway, I, 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 uh, you're lovely. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> He's great, right? We so, love Dr. Um, Dave. Sorry. So 
Uh, the, I mean, these are serious issues, and, and you're kind of alluding to them. And I wondered if you could talk about a world in which, no matter what you do, you can't opt out. We're already there, man. Sorry, I'm not gonna. I, mean, I don't mean to cut you off, Britton, but like, I literally, like, people. Well, I, like, I, I, I know sorry, that. but like, but yeah, but like, but I mean, like, I, I just did. Um, Rose Eveleth, who has a great podcast, like, just did a, a series with me in which she was tried to. She scanned in a bunch of photos that she took in Disney World in like 1994, like. Yep and ran it through a photo processor and all the people in the background, she was able to, they like immediately identified them with facial recognition. And there you go. That's like, I mean, like really, like we, we actually are there. That type of software is not widely available, but like, or it is honestly, but like well, people aren't using it yet. It's not, what, as you said, there's not saturation, but go ahead, Britton. Uh, what, what I think could be helpful is with acknowledgement of the fact that we may already be past that point in no return, um, we there is no regulation of this space yet. Everybody is still spinning their wheels about social media. And so if we were to basically look at pre-existing law, like how does this, does this impact HIPAA? Does the FTC regulation on truth and advertising apply to something that is a sponsored VR experience? Um, are, the FTC is supposed to govern digital influencers and virtual humans. I really don't see it doing that, not effectively. Um, and looking at if certain categories of information should be precluded from being used for advertising or persuasion or um, prof making consumer profiles in VR, AR. Uh, right now, there's a divide between um, if you're looking at the content moderation space in it, between people, um, between the platforms and the hardware providers. So if you look at the uh, the Ray-Ban stories by Facebook, if it's not if it's still on your headset, um, Ray-Ban is responsible. Luxottica is responsible for um, that information. It only if Facebook only kicks in its community standards when you when you hit the button and you download it to your Instagram, your Facebook, or your WhatsApp. So it, it's a whole new mechanism of um, kind of unregulated space as well. GDF, the floor is yours. Hello, I hope I'm not echoing, um, but very quickly. So I think my question has been somewhat answered by the conversation, but I would like to change it slightly. If there okay. was one first step that you would like to see to help um, govern this space, what would be the first step? And I'm sure a long line of steps, but ideally, what would you like to see in terms of either uh, private mod moderation by the companies on their terms of service or by regulation? Um, making sure biometrics law covers this type of information. So what would that what mean? What type of information? Um, like, sorry, um, the type really of information free. gathered by sensors in a in an immersive context because right there, now the way you tilt your head and the way you point are as physically identifying as your fingerprint so think of that next time you're doing staying alive in uh in so so but what about really bad dancing Sorry. but what about um you know the same data as collected by fitbit mm -hmm. or um non-immersive tech i mean the amount of information that Apple must be collecting through this watch that I wear every day is unbelievable. 
but can but can the watch identify you in a crowd so oh i suspect by the way i swing my arms i suspect by you know i don't think it can't your, yeah. The watch can't like your your gait could, yeah. Um, gait, but yeah. but it, it is new to have the way you tilt your head and point be physically identifying. Especially because I do it like this, know. You know, which <laughs> no one else does, and it's really it's unique to me. This walk this way exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I I really do kind of want to like I think that this is so this is kind of. I don't want to be fatalistic and be like toothpaste back and like let like you know we can't put the tooth toothpaste back in the tube. We've like, Which you put, can do, by the way. Kind of, but in a limited capacity, and I've done it before. And it's not yeah. really as good, and there's lots of air bubbles anyway. But like generally speaking, like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, and like the the point is, is that like how do we walk back from these technologies once they're created, and we don't seem to be able to brock fully or like get onboarding for like their full capabilities and their full harms and but that's that's the positive studies perspective yeah that's the positive, positive thing thing? here where at least in ar vr we are not past that moment yet yeah we're not they're still in their that's infancy true. and you wanted a positive thing and i was going to talk to you about the positive clinical applications of this and art cat. projects and how i'm doing ar projects to um in an application in Chicago with violence prevention as a violence prevention study. And I've done AR, VR, civil rights and human rights projects all around. But for me, that's the bright, that's no, the silver I think lining it is in this a conversation. Great, I do think it's a great silver lining. And like, we should, there was a lot of talk about banning facial recognition. And I just think that like, and I've always thought that like, you're just not gonna be able to ban people. If like people can have the capacity to scan people's faces, you're never gonna be able to ban it. The technology is going to exist. Like you can ban how police use it and the government uses it, but you're not gonna be able to ban how private entities use it, at least not with like certain huge changes to the first amendment and other things and fourth amendment. But like, yeah, I think that there's, I think that these, I think that you're right. I think that there are, there are things that we can kind of pick up from the norms that have been created in these prior communities. You can read it in your paper that I've posted a few times, but I'm going to post again. Um, and also in Julian Dibble's paper, which is like, this is one of the few pieces that I always assign to my students um, in my internet um in my internet law class um and I, I just think it's like there have been harms in the internet for as long as the internet has existed but that is the very reason why we should be better dealing with the harms that are coming with the metaverse and mm-hmm. all of augmented like i don't I, have they trademarked that metaverse is that a not. facebook thing it might be okay but I, 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 like yeah. are you gonna put your glasses back on Rachel? i'm gonna put my glasses back on for the last minute and okay. um and there is a blue consent? screen of death in the AR um, overlay, which is, which tells you, you know, we're not. When as far you have those, can you see us like yeah. through them? Yeah, okay. I, can to- I can totally see you through them, and I need to reboot my. Reboot, <laughs> reboot your glasses. <laughs> see, I never have to reboot my glasses. Yeah. Oh, you're. Thanks, Ben Franklin. That's great. <laughs> like, 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 what the fuck? <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> like, 
Ben's like, here I am wearing like my, my monocle, like my fashionable 17th century. Like, <laughs> look, one of us is looking over her glasses, and it ain't me. <laughs> you know, uh, just saying. Sometimes there's no improving on existing technology. I think that that is, I think, I think that that's is, a good note to end on. And if, yeah. if I do come back, um, yes, I know everyone's like, I, I, my, my law practice, I always introduce it as I am the black mirror. I am the black mirror. <laughs> so um, if, if, if I get invited back, I will talk about the humanitarian uses of this stuff. And yeah. I think that Let's could be more soon. fun and we'll do a happy a happy one and you'll all feel really good about this stuff. and also, i have the best ar workout uh uh, uh, uh uh vr workout regime there's a lot mm -hmm. of good uses for this there are it's, a it's, lot it's, of good uses. it's great fun yeah and i presented to the ftc on this stuff so um you, you can oh, poke them a little bit to, so um it wasn't oh. like that saturday night live cold open when they were asking like how do i use this meme <laughs> it's pronounced meme <laughs> Excellent. Mimi, 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 get back. Nana, Mimi, get back away from the meme. Like, yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, we are going to wrap. We will be back tomorrow. Britton Heller, you're a great American. Thanks. It's great to see you. Uh, it's great to see you in, uh, in two, if only two dimensions. Um, and, um, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, do we know who our guest is going to be tomorrow? No, we do not. No, but we do have a great lineup for the rest of the week. We have Nicholson Price, who famously beat the president of Estonia in a bow tying match oh. live on the show. He's going to yeah. be back to talk about medical ethics on Wednesday. And we have Will Codrington, a favorite of the show, who is going to be talking about his new book about the People's Constitution on Thursday. And, that, and we have Cheese Night on Friday. And cheese so Night on Friday. You want to join yeah. for Cheese Night? Yeah. We always yeah, eat, you should eat totally cheese on the show night. and just shoot the yeah, shit. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. You that, just have to bring cheese. I'm there. We do okay, it every great. Cheese Night. Every Friday. I, I have so much cheese in the fridge. It's amazing. I'm going to bring yeah. a, a, a green hatch chili cheddar. All right. Oh, my the, God. Okay. Sorry, all that will start. The part that we don't know who the guest is will start 22 hours and 55 minutes from now. And until then, Kate, we don't have fun anymore. Are are are, are we wearing Halloween costumes? We're always up for Halloween costumes. We're always. You should see my costume from last year. I just a giant paper bag puppet of the <laughs> of the Lisa Page. It's a long story. It's a very uh, long story. Uh, I haven't decided we'll if I'm going to be Friday. We'll Jan tell or Marsha Brady. Britain. We'll tell you on Friday, Britain. Love you. <laughs> See you Bye, soon. Everybody. Wait, you've you. You got to do the sign-off, KK. Well, we don't have fun anymore, but... I just did that, but we're giant paper bag puppets that don't have like fun anymore. What?